So I'm going to read to you our scripture passage this morning from 2 Corinthians 4. You can follow along by reading or simply listening. But here is the word of the Lord. And in God's providence, the word he has chosen for you to understand this morning. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. The theme of this passage before you is light. You could see that throughout the text. Verse 4, Paul is speaking of the light of the gospel. In verse 6, he mentions the light of creation that was created on the first day. And then later in verse 6, the light that shines in our hearts when we believe the gospel. The question that you're familiar with, if you've been working your way through this book, is who is the one shining the light in the church there in Corinth? Was it the false teachers or was it the Apostle Paul? Both claimed to be shining the light and both claimed that the other was not shining the light. To the false teachers, there's no light coming from the Apostle Paul. There's certainly no light in his life. He was always suffering. And there was no light in his message, even in his style of preaching. And certainly not much light in the response, which was relatively small. And so Paul is arguing that he preaches the true gospel. That's what, how he ended chapter 3. That he preaches the new covenant, the fulfillment of everything that has come in the Old Testament. It is what gives life and light. When Paul preaches that through Jesus we can have our sins forgiven and be made right with God eternally, that is the message of light. And when that's received, God's light not only shines down, but then enters each person who believes. The problem, Paul says, is unbelievers do not recognize the light. It can shine, but they don't see it. And so that's the issue with unbelief. But the false teachers don't believe that. The, the false teachers are saying, the reason most people aren't responding to your message, Paul, is you. You're not shining the light correctly. You're a mess, and your preaching is a mess. As a matter of fact, you're very boring. And that is one of the accusations throughout the book that Paul was boring. 
He's not using the proper techniques to gain an audience and move people. But notice his response in verse 2. We refused, well, excuse me, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. So the false teachers would say, if you want to make a difference, if you want to draw people to you and reach them, if you want to be a light in your community, you have to speak in, in a way that draws people, in a way that is light. In those days, the way you did that is use what's called the power of rhetoric. The public teachers in those days would all go to rhetorician's school, and you would learn how to move people. You would learn how to move your fingers at just the right time when you said just the right thing, how to raise your voice, speak eloquently, very flowerly, flowery. And in that way, you could get people to respond. That wasn't considered underhanded in those days. That was the only way you move people and get them to respond to what you were saying. Paul is saying here, I refuse to use these techniques. I do not use the school of the rhetoricians to bring people the light. That is unworthy of the gospel. Now, Paul is aware that his convictions on preaching will not draw a large crowd, and most will not believe his message. But Paul is saying, the power is not in me. It's not in my abilities. The power is in the message. The message itself is the light that shines. It is the glory of God, Paul says, that has now come to earth. And that glory is heard when the gospel is presented. And so Paul says, I do not have to manipulate the message. I don't have to tamper with God's word to make it more accessible or, or more relevant. I just have to preach it clearly. I have to preach the gospel clearly. I don't have to leave out certain parts that are more offensive because less people will respond. It's not about me. It's not about my abilities. It's not about me sort of massaging the message. It's simply proclaiming the gospel. That shows us that you cannot separate the medium from the message. The way we present the gospel reveals what we believe about the gospel. Back in the 80s, if some of you remember, church growth seminars were very popular. And I was in that world in Southern California as a youth pastor. And you would go to these seminars and you would not learn how to present the gospel clearly. You would learn all the techniques to move people. You would be told in youth ministry that if you do the right things at the right time, the right way, you can get almost all the youth to come forward and make a decision for Christ. You have to just know how to do it. So what you were learning was techniques. And so sometimes that's how people think of church music. You want to set the mood to move people to make a decision. But this is even true in cults. If you go to a Mormon church on a Sunday morning, you're not going to hear Mormon doctrine. You're going to hear talks about the family and America and things like that. But once you're in, you're going to learn the more difficult doctrines of the Mormon religion. 
Paul says, because I believe the gospel is light, I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to hold back a more difficult teaching. I don't have to figure out how to move people. I simply need to proclaim the light as it is in the scriptures. So notice verse two, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul is saying, if you know anything about me, you know I'm not a player and you know I'm not a marketer, that I conducted my ministry there with integrity and I preached you the truth, just like it is in the scripture. We didn't hide things like sin or judgment or our helplessness or the cross or the sufferings of the Christian life. We didn't try to market to make things easier to gain a hearing. So Paul says, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. In other words, you remember how I was. I'm not like those false teachers who are all about marketing and presentation. I simply taught you plainly. And so those who don't like the message, the problem was not with me. The problem was somewhere else. We were not manipulators. We were sincere. And by the way, in 2 Corinthians, when Paul writes we, he usually means me. He's speaking in one sense of the apostles, but they were the apostle that, he was the apostle that they knew. And so if anything, if they think back, and Paul wasn't there anymore, but if those Christians at Corinth could remember Paul, they would remember a man who simply told it like it was, without trying to sugarcoat or market, he just explained the truth. And so notice verse five, we do not preach ourselves, no, we preach Christ crucified and risen as Lord. This is not about success stories. Cheryl and I went to a, a graduation recently, and I won't give you any details, but it was Christian theme. And it was a, a musician who got up and gave a speech about how God had made him famous. And if you give your life to God, he will do all these things for you too, like me. So the message was basically, you can be like me. And when you think of famous crusades, we bring the successful people up front. We don't bring plumbers to come up and share the gospel. Uh, we bring football players. By we, I don't mean me there. I don't, I'm not in any crusades. But Paul says, we're not preaching success stories. We're not saying if you say this prayer, your life is going to be glorious. Paul says, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ crucified for sinners. Nothing we do saves anyone. And we cannot impress anyone so much with our life that that's going to convince them. The power is in the message of the gospel. Now, because of this, verse 1, Paul begins, we do not lose heart. Now, you would think if this is the truth that you would lose heart. I mean, if there's nothing we can do to impress people, if there's nothing we can change with our technique or style uh, to gain more people in church, well, that's pretty discouraging. If most people aren't going to believe anyway, then why wouldn't we lose heart? Why would we keep going? 
And that's exactly what Paul's opponents here are saying to him. Paul, why don't you give up? Just separate yourselves from these Christians. Um, you didn't really help them. You didn't gain a following. Your ways didn't work. The lack of response was your fault. And I can tell you as a pastor, there's nothing more debilitating than to hear someone say, the reason I didn't become a Christian is your fault. Your church is too boring, or whatever they say. And that's what they were saying to Paul. But notice his response in verse 3. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason that there's not a great response all around Corinth in the world, that the whole world is responding, is because people are blind. And so when the light is presented, when the gospel is presented, think about how glorious it is. God became a man to save sinners by dying for them on a cross. And we can be forgiven of all of our sins and be right with God forever. What a glorious message of light. But why are so many not interested when you present it? When you look back and if you've had opportunities to share the gospel, why is it most people don't respond when you share the gospel? Whose fault is it? Paul says, it's actually Satan, the God of this world that has blinded them. Now, Paul will teach elsewhere, it's their fault too. But here he is saying, there's something more going on than you don't have the right technique or abilities to persuade. He calls Satan a god. That doesn't mean Satan is divine because in other places he'll say money is like a god. You serve God or mammon. So the, the point is that Satan is powerful. And he's able to blind people. He has blinded them since Adam and Eve. So mankind in the garden, once they rebelled against God, gave themselves to Satan. So when they hear God's rescue plan for them, the glorious light, they're simply not interested. They don't seek after God. It doesn't mean anything to them. Now that brings us back to our question in verse 1. If that's the truth, if Satan has blinded people that they're not interested in the gospel, why do I not lose heart? Why not give up? And the answer is in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The reason we don't give up coming to church and preaching and listening or sharing the gospel is because there is one stronger than Satan and he can open the eyes of those Satan has blind blinded through the act of regeneration God opens eyes that when they hear the gospel now they see a great light by hearing it they see God's glory shining in this message notice Paul compares that glory to the glory of creation just like light shone over the whole earth in that glorious day. In the same way, God is over 
The Holy Spirit is over a soul darkened by sin. And the light of the gospel floods in and shines. It's even more glorious than creation. Creation wasn't against God's light, but we are. And yet the light comes and removes our sin and darkness. So Paul says, that's why I don't give up. That's why I don't lose heart. Because on some, the gospel has opened their eyes. God has overcome Satan and given them true light. That's why I do not lose heart. Now, given that, I want to bring some application to this passage for us first. Often when we ask ourselves, why aren't more people interested in church? Why aren't they responding? Our first instinct is to blame ourselves. Well, there's something we're doing wrong. If we only did this, if we only preach this way, now there's always room to improve. We have to make sure our preaching is clear. We have to make sure we are loving people, especially as they visit, they may not know the Lord. But ultimately, the reason people don't respond is that they're living in darkness. They're blind. When they hear the gospel, nothing's happening to them. Satan has blinded their eyes. Paul says, that's why they're not interested. Not because they're doing it right and I'm doing it wrong, as the false teachers were telling them. And so knowing this, what do we do? Well, we pray more, don't we? If we don't have any power to change people, we don't have any power to move people, only God can shine the light, then we pray for non-Christians to come to know the Lord. We pray for God to use what we do. And we love people the best we can so they see the light in us, that God's love has come into our hearts. So they're not confused what the gospel means but even if they see it and even if they hear it, only God can open the heart that has been blinded. Only he can give new eyes. Now, secondly, we see the danger here of these Corinthian Christians or professing Christians if they keep listening to these false teachers. Because if they start agreeing with them, they're going to reject the gospel that Paul had preached when he was there. They're going to say Paul failed, and therefore his gospel itself is weak. Now, Paul hoped for the best throughout 2 Corinthians, but there are times in the book he begins to wonder because they're accepting these false teachers and their criticisms of his ministry. Paul knew the parable of the sower, that some people claim to be Christians, they even have an experience, but they do not persevere in the faith. So Paul was very concerned here. You see, there's one thing worse or more dangerous than Satan hardening a heart, and that is God hardening a heart. Satan can be overcome, but those who hear the gospel over and over and do not respond, do not accept it as light, they refuse to see the light, then God begins to harden their heart. That's impossible to recover from. So we get used to a message of hearing the gospel each week, but we should never, tri never trifle with it and treat it as weak or nothing. 
Spurgeon wrote, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. If we ever become bored of the gospel, we're in trouble. And we need to be aware. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. That's why they were accepting the criticisms of the false teachers. Thirdly, we learn the importance of preaching. When the new covenant is spoken of in the Old Testament, it's often spoken of a giant or a glorious light shining on the world, Isaiah 60, for example. A glorious light, Isaiah 60 and 61, is, is about to shine. And yet we don't see a light, do we? I mean, when your pastor is up here, you don't see an aura of light coming from him. If you do, run, because something's wrong. You don't see the light, but you hear the light, which is odd, because when we think of light, we think of something we see. But Paul will write, faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of the gospel. And so the light takes on a little different understanding in the New Testament. In our day, before the return of Christ, the light is heard instead of seen. And so that shows us the importance of preaching the gospel clearly. That is how the light shines around the world in our age. And finally, that shows us then our calling as the church. What is our goal for unbelievers is to shine the light very clearly in what we preach. So they understand what the gospel is and what the Christian life will be in this life. We don't use techniques. We don't trust in personality or human ingenuity. Those things are shameful. Paul says those are beneath the glory of the gospel. Paul says we give a simple, open, clear declaration of the truth. We know that most will not receive it, but we pray some will. After all, you're here. God opened your eyes, did he not? And so the Lord will continue to do this. If you want to know where the greatest miracle in the world is in this age, look at the person next to you. You are the greatest miracle. You're, you are a greater miracle as a Christian than creation because the light of the gospel opened your eyes. And Paul says that's even more glorious than day one when light shone on the world. That's why we keep doing this. That's why we have church, so more and more people can have the light. But it reminds you also, if you have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, please do not market or sell anything. You don't have to massage the message or leave out the difficult parts. You don't have to say it just perfectly in a way that is so persuasive. You don't even have to offer yourself as a glorious example that they can be like. Now we're all sinners trusting in the same savior. And so you tell them the simple truths. In Adam, mankind fell into sin, separated from God, God is holy. We deserve judgment, but God in his great love and mercy has provided a way 
by sending his son to die on the cross for sinners. And if we believe in him and what he has done for sinners, we can be forgiven of all of our sins and belong to him forever. That's very simple. But if God wills, he will open the eyes for people to see that light and they will respond. But if they do not respond, it's not your fault. It's not because you were, you were not the perfect example. Parents, are you hearing me with your kids? That's not why kids believe or not believe. But even if people do not believe our message, they should at least be able to say about you what Paul says they could say about them. I didn't accept what they were explaining, but at least that was a genuine person. They commend, they commend us in the sight of God. In other words, at least he or she cared about me in trying to explain it. I could tell they weren't selling, they weren't marketing, they were people of integrity. They weren't trying to be pushy. They were simply trying to explain um, their religion, Christianity. Let them see that you deep down really believe that the gospel is the light. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. And what a joy that we can rest in your power to open eyes and trust only in you. Forgive us when we have trusted in ourselves, our cleverness, our abilities. We thank you for the power of this message, more powerful than anything on the earth, even more powerful than Satan. And we pray that you would use this church, my church, and other churches to present the gospel clearly, and then you would open eyes through this ministry and through each one here in their lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.